and has been giving talks now for many nights, so we start tonight by asking you, do you have any questions, any particular questions you want to ask, so that we can deal with whatever particular issue you want to hear about. I'd like to know why why it is so hard to stay in the present moment and if it's possible to always stay in the present moment and if being in the present moment continuously is enlightenment. The reason it's difficult for us to develop awareness in the present moment is because since we've been born we've been training ourselves and being trained in remembering things and thinking and this use of the memory and the thinking all the thinking we've done and we've learned how to do this 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 takes the mind away from the present moment um, this has been going on since we were born even in previous lives so um, that's where the the problem lies that's where the uh, the, the, the crux of the matter is because we, we've been training in, in not being in the present moment and the result of that is that the mind often ends up in a confused kind of mess um, or even suffering of different kinds and also at the same time all this thinking and um, associative thinking based on different memories and the things we've learned creates a sense of self and identification which the mind attaches to um, which also is part of the problem um, so bearing that in mind we have to remember that it's going to take time to bring the mind to develop enough awareness to keep it staying in the present moment um, maybe one year, maybe ten years, who knows, maybe that wouldn't be long enough what? have to spend longer than that and just be prepared for that to give it time to be patient enough to practice like that um, the important thing is to try to begin practicing um, I suggest at least once a day to practice sitting down meditating where you're developing your awareness in the present moment by focusing on a meditation object this would be best and the longer you can do this for when you do sit the better, so I suggest aim for one hour a day would be very good. Not only this, but also try to develop sati or present moment awareness in all your daily activities, not just when you're meditating, when you're doing your family duties and your work and so on. Uh, look at look at it. Look at our minds. Say when we're at work, how much we spend. Of our time at work just caught into mental proliferation daydreams, imaginations, thinking about different things so if we learn to practice at work start to find ways to focus our mind in the present moment just focus on the different work, the tasks, the duties we have to do we can train our minds like this to start letting go of this tendency to proliferate and think a lot and um, increase and improve our, our present moment awareness. If we keep practicing like this, regularly meditating and practicing mindfulness in our daily lives, then you'll probably find that sooner or later you, you'll reach a point where maybe one day you come home 
and you finish your business and you sit down to meditate and you might have a very peaceful meditation where because of all the, the, the good results of all that effort putting into developing mindfulness your mind seems to gather together and drop all its usual thinking, worries, concerns, all the, all the different thoughts we normally have and become very peaceful, one-pointed and concentrated and you feel very light and relaxed in your body and your mind. It's at those times that we should contemplate, we use that state of peaceful concentration to contemplate Dhamma and particularly develop insight into the three characteristics of existence, that is the impermanence or changeable nature of phenomena, the unsatisfactory nature of phenomena and the lack of a self in phenomena, or what we call anicca, dukkha, anatta. When we contemplate these three characteristics, they are helping us to uh, uproot or let go of the very root causes of all that mental proliferation that normally takes the mind away from the present moment. So not only the practice of mindfulness and uh, samadhi meditation, but also contemplation also helps to bring the mind to the present moment. And so again, we can see if we keep practicing like this, practicing meditation, mindfulness, and then contemplating anicca dukkha anatta, this will increase our present moment awareness all the time. And little by little we'll be better able to catch all the different sense contact we have through our eyes, our ears, our nose, our tongue, sense of touch from the body, and also all the different ideas, concepts that come up in the mind itself. These are the six sense doors. And the more we practice mindfulness, mindful awareness in the present moment, the more we'll catch all of that sense contact and prevent it from just leading on to more mental proliferation, imagining, daydreaming, which takes us off away from the present moment. Um, all the old memories, the thoughts, everything, will be able to catch them much quicker the more we practice mindfulness and little by little be able to let go of them all. And the more we can let go of all this mental proliferation, then the less stress, the less suffering we'll experience. And the way this present moment awareness develops, it's, it's always it starts in just small moments, yeah, small moments of mindfulness and awareness. Uh, but if we keep putting effort in and keep practicing, those small moments will start to become longer moments and they'll start to join up. It's a bit like water dripping from a tap, the drip, drip, drip becomes faster until it gradually becomes one continuous stream of water. And mindfulness, present moment awareness is the same. We keep practicing over and over again and eventually it becomes continuous. When that's, we reach that point, then both our mindfulness and our wisdom, our insight, becomes sustained and continuous. And of course, the mind stays in the present moment, it's not caught into the usual proliferation, discursive thinking, and the sense of stress, suffering that we often get caught into will disappear. But we have to really um, practice, we have to begin somewhere, we have to begin with where we're at, so however difficult it seems, however much proliferation and thinking we, we seem to have to deal with, uh, the thing to do is to make an effort to try and keep 
uh, practicing and sooner or later you will experience results with more present moment awareness. Any other questions? Is the wisdom come before letting go or after? They really come together. Um, when we have wisdom arise or insight arise, its very function is to make the mind let go. So it comes together. You could um, make the comparison. Say you pick something up, an object up, and you're not sure whether it's a rope, a piece of rope, or a snake. Um, as long as you have that fuzziness of mind, the lack of clarity, then you can say there's no, it's the same as the mind without wisdom. As soon as there's clarity, and we know it, it's either definitely a rope, there's no danger, and we can carry on holding it. If we know, oh, definitely it's a snake, then we know, oh, this snake is dangerous, it could bite us, um, so we'll quickly put it down. That's the same with wisdom arising in the mind, when there's clarity in the mind, knowing something, it's true nature, and if it's something that's harmful, going to cause you suffering, you will put it down, let go of it, that attachment. Or similarly, it could be an, if you're fishing, and you're, say you're a fisherman, and you're in, your hand is in the water, underwater, and you grab the fish, but it's, you think it's an eel, so you're fishing for eels, but you can't be quite sure whether it's an eel or a snake, water snake. Entire water snake are very poisonous, they're deadly. So while your hand's underwater, you're feeling around, you can't be sure what it is. Again, this is like wisdom is not yet clear. As soon as you bring the, that eel or snake up, and say so you see it's a snake in your hand, and you're, oh, danger, trouble you quickly let it go, and that's like wisdom arising in the mind, seeing the danger of attachment and letting go. The thing you're letting go of is the state of clinging tightly to things, or attaching firmly, holding on firmly to things. Um, the things, because that state of attachment brings suffering to the mind. So you could attach to a a mental state and a mood of happiness and that can, at the time you might think this is happiness but your attachment to it can bring you suffering so wisdom would see that and let go or a state of stress, suffering for sure you would let go of that straight away you'd know all this is stressful suffering if it's something that's beneficial a mental state or a quality of mind that is beneficial as part of the practice you wouldn't necessarily let go of it you might maintain it say, mindfulness. But even any aspect of the practice, you can carry on practicing and if, if it becomes a firm attachment or something that you cling on to in a blind way that can cause suffering, as soon as wisdom sees that, then it would say, oh, this is something to be let go of. So there's that flexibility or malleability of mind that it can, yes, as you say, it can have discretion, no something to be um, maintained, something to be let go of, uh, but that can also change over time as well. Maybe daily reflections uh, which might have that developed not therefore personality, Perhaps the most obvious place we can contemplate, observe, to see the truth of no self, not self, or anatta, is just with our own breath. Any time you turn your attention to observe the breath, you can see that the breath is um, carrying on, 
as it is its nature, as its its role, it goes in, it's breathing in, breathing out. Uh, it arises, it passes away. And that whole process of the breathing is beyond our control, isn't it? We, as, as human beings, breathing beings, we don't, we can't control that process of the breath. We can't say this breath is mine. Whether we say that or not, it just carries on by itself, uh, according to its function, its natural function. Anything that we can observe like that to do with ourselves or the external world that is functioning, carry on doing its duty, following its role without us being able to control it or really affect it very much is showing us the, the truth of not-self. Um, it's teaching us that. If we observe it, if we can see it. Um, everything that we take as a self, say this is me, this is mine, whether physical or mental, if we keep investigating, looking at it, we can will gradually come to see the truth that mm, it's not really me, not really mine to control, uh, take possession of or own. It could be mental things, like mental states of happiness or suffering. When you have happiness, you say, oh, I'm happy, I suffer, I'm suffering. We take them as a self at that time. But that happiness doesn't last, does it? It comes up according to conditions and those conditions change and it passes. That mood, that feeling will pass. Suffering is the same. It comes up according to conditions and it will change and it will go away again. If they were really a self, any mood, we'd be able to just control it, keep it there, uh, have it under our kind of control. But we can't. They come up and go away according to conditions. They don't last, and we can't hold on to them um, as a self. Our physical body is exactly the same. Uh, we can't control it. We can't stop it aging, changing in different ways. Every day it's changing. Uh, and the world around us is constantly changing, constantly uh, rising, passing away in different ways, breaking up. Yeah, it's unsatisfactory because of this, and it's it's beyond our control. There's nothing we can do. That's me. If it's me, then we, it shouldn't change. It should be able to just stay in, in that way, the way we want it. But it doesn't. It follows its own process according to conditions. When we have mindfulness and wisdom to see this, then there won't be any suffering in the mind. We'll understand the truth and we'll know, oh, this isn't mine to cling on to, so the mind lets go. For someone new practicing Buddhism, um, what is enlightenment and what are the four realms of existence? When we are born into this world, the natural way of human beings is that we all want to be happy. Nobody wants to be unhappy or suffering. But the normal ways we experience happiness, um, what we call sensual happiness, through our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, with the body, um, when that arises, gives us happiness, different experiences from that arise, give us happiness. We tend to hold on to that. We want it to last. But unfortunately, whatever it is we hold on to doesn't last, whether it's um, people, we find people bring us happiness. Our own bodies don't last, other people's bodies don't last, we all get older, we have to die. Uh, the material things of this world, they don't last, they can't bring us lasting happiness. So we're constantly caught into a kind of a, a cycle of 
um, seeking happiness from different things, experiences, people, getting some, losing it, chasing more, wanting more, and, and suffering in the process. The Buddha said that the real happiness, lasting true happiness, comes from a peaceful mind. And peaceful mind here means a mind that is um, being trained and become perfect or complete with both awareness and wisdom, understanding. And particularly when we see the um, impermanent, we see this changeable nature, this impermanent nature of the physical world and the mental world, our minds, our bodies and the world around us. Um, when we see that really clearly with um, sustained mindful awareness and wisdom, reflecting, <coughs> contemplating to see the truth, then we'll completely know that the true nature of this world or the phenomena of this world, both mental and physical, and that true understanding leads to a coolness of heart, a sense of detachment, because we know oh, everything is impermanent. Um, that's what we we call Nibbana or enlightenment, but when one experiences this, the cool heart that is detached from things that used to cling on to and, and chase after. In terms of these different realms, there's, um, say, if you're talking about four realms, there's the realms of suffering, that's beings born into, because of their karma states, realms where they experience a lot of suffering, um, unpleasant situations, unpleasant feelings. Um, then there's, uh, within that, there's, um, Sorry, on, on covering both that, the unpleasant rebirth, there's also um, pleasant rebirth, say human rebirth or um, heavenly birth. This is all comes under the heading of what we call the sensual realm, karma loka. Um, whether it's human or, or heavenly birth, one is able to experience a certain amount of happiness with uh, one's eyes, one can see pleasant things have different pleasant experiences with eyes, ears, nose, tongues, uh, touch and the mind itself. Um, so that's that's one kind of happiness but it's still not permanent. Um, so people tend to look for more lasting happiness and this, this is why often people are meditating, they're practicing meditation to experience some deeper happiness. When you meditate on form, physical form as an object, uh, say something like the breath, that's physical form, although very subtle. Um, one experiences happiness that comes from the concentration, the blissful states that arise when the mind becomes very peaceful and concentrating, say, on the, the breath, or there are other meditation objects. And this is um, the, the happiness of the, the realm of form, or rupa, rupa loka. And uh, one could even be reborn, then one dies reborn in the Rukaloka as a, as a, somewhat as a being, say a celestial being, receiving the fruits of the good karma of that, um, the happiness developed from that meditation. Or even more refined from that, focusing on mentality, different mental phenomena as meditation objects. And one can develop what we call a Rupa um, jhanas, these are very fine, uh, very refined states of uh, concentration that bring even more refined states of bliss, happiness. Um, so that's another realm of existence. Um, 
but all of these realms, whether sensual, form, or, or immaterial realms, based on meditation and the happiness, the concentration, and the refined states of mind that come from them, they're all impermanent. They don't last forever, even though they might last a long time. The birth in any of those realms doesn't last forever. Um, the, the path then that the Buddha gave for reaching a, a place, you could say, of lasting peace, lasting happiness, true peace, true happiness, is the Buddhist path, the path of practice in Buddhism based on generosity, morality, and then training one's mind in mindfulness, awareness, and contemplation to develop wisdom and insight to the point where one's understanding of reality, existence, clear knowing of phenomena to see that, that clearly in the mind without doubt the impermanent, unsatisfactory nature of phenomena, the lack of self in phenomena, that's completely established in the mind and it leads to this cool detached state which we call Nibbana or enlightenment. I want to know what influences you are holding Truthfully, um, it's really beyond our ability to know these things or predict these things because karma has many factors that are uh, created both in this life, we're creating karma in this life, and also we've created much karma from our past lives. And all these different factors will influence uh, what happens to us, but it's really beyond us, our ability to know all of that. But we can, you could say, you can trust in, in the nature, the laws of nature, and the, the, the balance of karma. The, the karma will give its results. The good and the bad that we've done, all the different things we've done will give their, its results. But in what way and, and with who, uh, sort of things like the connections with other people who will become our parents, our children, it's, it's beyond our ability to really know. Um, we can know that when we die, all the karma that we've made in this life and even past life will come together to affect us at that time for sure. We'll be uh, the states of our, of coming up in our mind, the state of our mind at death will be affected by how we live this life and it will affect what happens after death, particularly the, the state of existence that we go to, say our next birth will be very much dependent um, particularly on this life but also past life um, and this much we can know we might not know who we're going to be with who we'll meet in what way there are connections but we can know that good karma made through body, speech and mind with wholesome intentions, good intentions will bring good, positive, beneficial results to us and we can prove that in our lives as we're going on now and we can be sure that uh, the results of our karma will not just end at the end of our life, but they'll be affecting us over in the future. So, when we under the more the more we understand that, the more we can see the the need and the the, the value of creating good karma now in the present life. We train ourselves in, in wholesome acts of the body, speech, and mind, and similarly we try to avoid and give up unwholesome, unskillful acts of body, speech, and mind this much we can know and uh, we should um, really contemplate this there would be perhaps somebody with great barami who really developed themselves spiritually and deeply meditation, deep samadhi 
and special knowledges, they might be able to know certain things about their karma and other people's karma and what connections and things are leading to what, but that's not an ordinary, you know, that's a very rare case, most people are just not going to know that much about who they're, or could be able to predict that much about who they'll be living with and these sort of things. And the result of the karma be uh, changed or altered, in the sense that uh, we are the heir of our karma, so we have bad karma because we have bad results, good karma will be good results. So since we've done so many of these bad results before, um, it is always that we must uh, experience the result of this karma and there's no chance of uh, escaping it. When we contemplate karma, we can see that, of course, the past has already passed by, it's taken place, and we can't change the events of the past and the karma we've made, those causes, uh, we can't change them. Uh, but of course, the place of practice is the present, and we can make choices and influence and change what we're doing in the present. And one of the ways we do that is by learning from what we've done in the past. And in, particularly in terms of, uh, say, bad karma, unskillful things we've said, done, or thought in the past, we can uh, learn by reflecting to avoid making the same errors, the same bad karma, again in the present. Just for a very simple, obvious example, say somebody who's um, addicted to drinking alcohol, and that habit has become established in the mind and the intention keeps coming up over and over again so they keep drinking alcohol um, and the power of that habit, that karma means that unless something happens to change it will just keep building, becoming stronger a stronger intention, a stronger habit in the mind and of course the results will come from that the body, the health is affected the mindfulness, the intelligence of the person is affected over time if they keep drinking alcohol, getting drunk um, and they'll have desire keep coming up in the mind and that desire for alcohol will be reinforced as long as they continue on that path but say that in the present they have to stop and reflect and contemplate the harm that is happening to them from say drinking alcohol see oh it's affecting my body, my health my nerves, my intelligence, my mindfulness, my clarity all these things one starts to reflect and say oh it's, it's harming me, it's bad for me that could give rise to wisdom and some clarity and that would change the, the habit in the present, the intention would change and that maybe establish the intention to give up alcohol so every time the desire to have more alcohol comes up they know it's bad for me, it's not good for me, I'll give it up so in the present one starts to change that whole karmic cycle and let go of the, the harmful habit um, in that sense you could say the old karma giving its results the bad karma giving its results actually can lead to something good um, nevertheless even once we've decided to say give up in that case that example to give up alcohol and keep avoiding it to uh, preserve our health and our mindfulness there would still be some unpleasant unhappy results coming from the past drinking that you know, maybe still giving its results moments of poor mindfulness uh, different health problems that might continue but nevertheless the good karma of the decision to give up not have any more 
will certainly also have its good results and one's health may be preserved, even improved over time and one's mindfulness and so on will improve hopefully. Um, important thing when we're talking about the bad karma we've done in the past though is to, if, if we can reflect on it wisely, as in the example just given, good so that we can learn and change our ways and make more good karma, more skillful karma, but just unskillfully, unwisely remembering that the bad things we've done, feeling guilty, feeling bad, angry, remorseful, um, those different states of suffering aren't much use to us, um, just say indulging in them, attaching to them. So the more we practice mindfulness and under, develop understanding of our minds, we should catch those moments when we just call into guilt or depression over the things we've done and see it's really not helping because we can't change the past. Uh, if we learn our lessons, learn, learn to change our ways, good. But other than that, there's no point in just suffering by being, feeling guilty uh, or having, say, self-aversion or remorse. Um, if we keep reflecting like this generally on karma, the results of good karma, bad karma, then of course this is how our practice progresses and we see the advantage and the benefit of giving up, abandoning unwholesome intentions that lead uh, to unskillful karma made with body, speech and mind and we'll keep developing the, the wholesome intentions of body, speech and mind. So little by little our the level of our mind through our practice of this will be raised up, the level of happiness we experience will be raised, so to raise our level from the level of what we call a manusa, a human being, to a level of a deva. And so you see people who are practicing, they might um, be practicing as a human being and they die, they've been practicing developing good karma, the results that they die and are reborn as a deva, when uh, the fruits of that good karma finally wear out, maybe they're reborn as a human being and practice more and they often, they're practicing in the day when they're a human being, they're alternating back and forth until eventually all the good karma comes to fruition, the, the different aspects of the path that come together and the mindfulness, the wisdom come together and they reach enlightenment and that's, that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. With the arising of thoughts in the, in the mind constitute the creation of uh, uh, the important thing with thoughts is when they arise in the mind, if we attach to them, cling on to them, then they become karma. Um, and as we can see from our practice, you can be practicing and trying to bring up good thought, develop skillful thoughts, skillful uh, mental states, but still you can um, have bad, unskillful thoughts pop up into the mind sometimes very quickly and it seems to be uncontrollable. And so what can we do? Well, we have to keep re-establishing mindfulness and awareness and try to catch and observe and catch these different thoughts that come up and know what you're thinking, what the mental state you're experiencing, is it skillful or unskillful? And if you do know, oh, this is unskillful, this is unwholesome, uh, then let it go. You use your that awareness to, and say, oh, this is going to cause me harm, suffering, and you let it go. If it's skillful, then you can follow it, you can develop it, you maintain it in your mind, but still you, your aim is not to attach to it and form a self around it, because the more you do that, the more you form a self around even good, skillful thoughts, then you're going to start suffering and you're increasing uh, your attachment and the cause of suffering. 
So the important thing is to see when we attach to thoughts, we're creating what we call mano karma or mental karma. Um, if we have good thoughts, uh, this is good thought, good karma, bad thoughts, bad karma. But um, the important thing is to, to practice not attaching to the thoughts. Um, and if we if we're not attaching, then they they won't be making strong karma. So if it's bad bad thoughts, you certainly don't want to be attaching to them. But that that's how we practice. You have, might have a bad thought arise, an unskillful thought arise. You establish mindfulness and you let it go, and so it hasn't made any good, any bad karma yet. It's actually good karma that you're establishing mindfulness of it and letting it go. In that sense, we don't have to uh, suffer because we've got a bad thought arising if we have mindful awareness of it. Thank you. The renunciation. Um, we now see the whatever in the mind. Uh, the oldest uh, reflection and the contemplating is uh, to empty the mind and uh, I think that is the work of the Buddha's disciples <laughs> Is it a question or a statement? Or? It is a question also and, uh, that is it possible and uh, is that what, uh, what we should be doing? The disciples of the Buddha, the Sāvakas, um, are those who, as we chant, they practice well, practice directly, practice with insight, insightfully for the end of suffering. And the way they do this is through upholding uh, the good practice, that is, the practice of morality, the development of mindfulness and concentration, and the development of insight to the point where they clearly understand the nature of all phenomena. Uh, and when they clearly see, clearly understand the nature of all phenomena, then they'll naturally be letting go, not attaching to anything. Um, so we're practicing in their footsteps. We're also practicing to develop this state of letting go uh, to the best of our ability. We just do the best we can. Um, so in practical terms on a daily basis that might mean getting to know phenomena in the sense of people praise us, we know or praise is like this and then we let go. People criticize us, we know criticism is like this and then we let go. Um, gains, gains of different kind, we know or gain is like this. Loss of things is like this, we know and we let go. Different kinds of happiness we know is happiness is like this, we let go. Different kinds of suffering we know oh, it's like this, and then we let go. All of these experiences that we have in life in the world, we get to know them, meaning we develop mindfulness and contemplate to get to know their true nature, and through that we can let go by contemplating, seeing their true nature, or oh, we can let go of them all. Thanks. Perhaps that might be enough for tonight. We're going for an hour. There will be other chances to hear him during the week. One of his students in Thailand is a doctor and they were meditating using the word Bhutto, just reciting it silently in their mind, Bhutto, 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 and then um, reached a the point they thought they'll try and do it in time with their heartbeat. And their heartbeat beats as many as they 70, 80 times a minute. So they go, Bhutto, 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 trying to do it in time with, the, time with the heart. And they got to the way they thought, hmm, is this going to affect my health? 
as they say, you know, doctors, they, they think a lot like this. So, uh, they thought, oh, this is going to become, he's going to do some damage. But I keep going, woodho, 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 every time my heart beats one beat. So they came to ask him, so they said, oh, just uh, relax, maybe try just following the breathing and just let the breathing go in and out very naturally and let go of all the concerns about the, the body. So you just seen, I think, that doctors often, because we're thinking about the body and illnesses and using our thoughts like that all the time, so even when you come to meditate, you'll be thinking like that, you start thinking, oh, this is the right, the right way to do it, and then what will happen to the body as I meditate and all this, but you want to just set all that aside, just relax and just drop everything. <laughs> he hopes that everybody will gain the Dhamma eye and become so dependent through your practice. <laughs>